Today on the Power of Cosmos, I'll do the voice for that one guy out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Power Cosmic Podcast. We're here at the Big Gin Hall where the dance contest is going to start at 3 o'clock. But before that, Jerry and I are going to tell you kids about morals. That's right, morals. Not morsels, not the things you eat, but things that help you live a good life. So sit back, relax, and dust off your souls as Jerry and Mitch get on their pulpit to tell you about what and what not to do in the world of business. Take it away, Jerry. All right, we're talking about working with people yeah. and for people. Yeah. And as a guy who works as an artist, you're pretty solitary. So you've yeah. never been in a position where you had people report to you, have you? No, no, I've never been a boss. You've never been a boss. But, I mean, when you work with the people, like on the comic stuff. It's a team effort. When I was writing stuff. Yeah. Everything is about making the other guy's job easier, not harder. Right. Because there's always another issue. You know, I mean, it's never like, oh, you're done with one issue. You're doing a monthly comic. You want to keep people happy. You don't want them to be stressed. Because, you know, it's hard enough to make deadlines as it is. So you don't want to add that extra stress. So you you try to be respectful. You try to make, if they're supposed to draw something, you try to find reference for them. I mean, I always did So you're not a big proponent of that, like, army tactic where it's like you you get the best out of people by, you know, go, push the extra, come on, Jerry, like you're an instructor. It's not a football game, right? It's not a football game. But some people treat it like that. Yeah. But here's the thing. People, and as I came... Different management styles. But I came through, just from experience of working in different projects, you can say... Like, yeah, good comics can come out of bad situations. And you could point to, like, Lee and Kirby or, or, or Ditko and, and, and Stan Lee where they were having problems. Yeah. The comics were still good despite the fact that one of the parties was miserable. Behind the scenes. Yeah. yeah. So, but the point is, it shouldn't be. In other words, like, yeah, maybe good stuff can come out of a bad situation. Okay. But why? Why put yourself or why put somebody have you else worked through with, it? Have you worked with friends on books and people that weren't your friends on books? Yeah. yeah. Has the end product been any different? No, I treat everybody the same. But No, you treat everybody the same. But I'm saying as the, the, the final... The, the final yeah, yeah. has it been as successful as ones that maybe you had trouble behind the scenes with somebody well did you give it your best even though things were hunky dory oh I always yeah I always gave my best right but I worked in situations that were really pretty crappy yeah and the problem is it's like if you've done a job yes. right if you know the job and you do it you know that you can do it better right than your worst example of working with somebody who did that job yeah does that make sense? No, no, it does. It's like I could either phone it in and just get it done with, or I could actually go that extra effort. Well, when, when but I don't want to do it because right. I'm pissed at that guy and I just want to be done. When you're writing, writing comics is always the top of the chain. So it all ran downhill from there. Yeah. Writing to penciling to inking yeah. to lettering to coloring. Right. Right. So at any stage, <clears throat> you want to make it, you don't want people to be miserable. No. I worked in situations where, as a, where before I was a writer, yeah. <clears throat> where writers were really pretty shitty. You know what I mean? Like quality-wise, but yeah, quality and everything. I mean, you mean they're missing their deadlines, so now you're behind the right, ball. Is right. that what you're talking about? Yeah, people miss deadlines. They're not carrying their weight. Or it's not distributed. Right, either. right. Okay. Or they're yeah. not doing a great job because they're working on some other project that's, right. you know, maybe taking So they're not giving their full attention to you, yeah, yeah. so your job is now harder. Right. So it goes downhill. So now the colorist right. is going to be impacted, the letter. Well, but everybody is after the fact. But basically, if you're trying, if you get a story that's bad, yeah. You can do your best to try to save it, but you don't necessarily get credit for it. And that's right. fine. Right. You know, I mean, that's not, that's the thing, not but always it's, the case. Not, right? Well, that's how it, 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 it wasn't always the case because sometimes you'd work with people who were like totally great. You know what I mean? And some people didn't Some people care. not. So, so, so when I became a writer, right. I always tried to go overboard to, yeah. to make sure that the artists had... All they needed to draw something, and if they had any problem, because they were free to Because you would want that it. to happen right. to somebody else that happened right. to you. Right. right. So, so it wasn't like, I'm, oh, because this happened to me, this is how I'm going to treat people like crap. Right. You which, know, is, I, which is most people do that. Like, you grow up in a bad family. You go, when I have kids, I'm going to make sure we don't do this, right. this, and this. And then right. hopefully you don't, right. and your next generation is yeah. better. But then sometimes that does Sometimes happen. you end up yeah, repeating yeah. yourself. You don't even realize it. Like... But the, I'm my own dad. The biggest thing is, yeah. what you realize, is that stuff is good or bad. It's not dependent on 
you know, like there's a story about people on movie sets where you have yeah. the director who's like Screaming. a total a hole. Yeah. yeah, fire that guy for looking at me. And wrong. Yeah, yeah, you can get a good movie out of it, yeah. but I don't think it's that <laughs> different if you have somebody who's actually engages everybody and respects everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can say that's no, 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 that's true. A fairy I was tale, Joel Schumacher. I think I told you that he just passed away, but he said. He grew up as the design. Was he a designer, he was a production a designer, yeah. costume guy? Yeah. So he had worked his way up from the bottom of the barrel to a director, right. which is the highest right. part right. you can get, other than a producer. But a director right. is pretty much it. And he was always very kind to people. I mean, yeah. he wasn't shouting and, and pointing. Right, the set not, not being abusive to people. Right, not being set. abusive. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, and I remember him saying one day that there's a quote that said, "Don't mistake." Kindness for a sign of weakness. Right, right. He'll be brutally honest. He'll get right. the job done. Right. But he won't scream at you and, right. and humiliate you. There's a different way of going, yeah. as opposed to another guy who's just a total jackass. Get out of here. You're, right. you're fired because you looked at me. Don't make eye contact. Right. You're out the door. Right. I mean, the famous one, if you ever look at the uh, director's extras on The Shining... Oh my God! When it's, he was uh, torturing that poor, poor Shelley, Shelley Duvall, Shelley Duvall yeah. it's like he basically mentally tortured, abused her. He yeah. tortured her into getting the performance he right, wanted, right. but it was like so abusive. Oh yeah! Even reading about it, it's, it's painful. To, oh yeah! So did they, you ever see Art, Martin Sheen? Art in isn't worth that. Oh yeah, yeah. Martin Sheen, Coppola. Yeah, yeah. He was he having had, he, like he a had heart trouble attack. alcohol. He was having a heart attack. Right. He was basically having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Right there in the stress. Philippines. Stress and yeah, pressure. Yeah, doing that yeah. movie. And there's uh, there's a scene where he's in the uh, hotel room, right, with the where he's smashing blade the window and or the, the yeah, mirror, and his hands foot, cut, foot, yeah. foot, 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 yeah, yeah, the yeah. fan blade going, like and a, he's literally breaking down yeah. in front of the camera, yeah. and Coppola is off the side, egging him on, like, right. why are you doing that? Tell us why. He's like, I hate right. you. I hate right, right. He's crying, like, literally. And they're and doing it for performance. I go, right. I don't think it's a performance. I think that guy should be going to a hospital. Well, some people think you should bleed for your art. Oh, he was really... But uh, what I'm saying is, if it's a dis- the difference of, say, 5% of tortured artists versus yeah. happy, well-adjusted, yeah, yeah, yeah. then it's worth the 5% to yeah, have a nicer life. Yeah, but in that situation, is Coppola the jerk for doing that instead of getting well, Cop- this guy help? I mean, you can understand it in the situation it's with that money. because it was his own money, yeah, it was yeah. his own studio. He was like trying to launch something of his own. Yeah. So I mean, the pressures are different. Um, but I think when you're working through a company structure, it's yeah. a little harder to handle it because someone is signing off. On it. So if there's someone's being abusive yeah. and the studio likes the results, yeah. they're not going to interfere. Or in a comic situation, the same thing is true. Is if you're if they're, they're liking the results, and they're making sales. They, may not, yeah. they don't want to upset the uh, the apple cart, as yeah, they yeah, used yeah, to yeah. say in the 1920s. Don't rock the <laughs> don't rock the boat. Right. But I mean, th- th- that's kind of unfortunate too because stuff does happen. And that becomes a way of now, life. If you found out years later about something that you like, say The Shining, and you found out behind the scenes, does that now d- just add distaste to your appreciation of it? No, I can you still. You can't watch it anymore. No, going, I can still watch it. Know but what I, happened? I watch it and I think, wow, she was tortured yeah. off scene to get this. You know, this once. Yeah. You know, I'm all set. Yeah. You can just do the bell. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just saying that, because I was talking about that to John the other day from uh, Pine of Comics. We were talking about certain creators that just got in trouble right. in the last couple of weeks yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever sexual And it was harassment. long-term stuff. Yeah, it was, yeah, but then, then was, I go, did you ever read any of so-and-so's work? He goes, yeah, I go, now do you go back and now hate that? He goes, no, I like the story. I, yeah. I disassociate the work from the, the yeah. person who did it. Well, if you're in that situation, though, it might not be the same. No, or if you were the, if you were the, the guy people. who was being... You know, tortured or, or something, yeah. you might have a different opinion of it. Right, right, right. So it could still be someone's fan favorite story that, you know, you ever worked on with XYZ, editor, writer, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't make it any easier. No. Um, 61, so. 70? People who listen to Jerry and I do our math. I got, just, I, I got tens. Yeah, no, I think it's sometimes when, you know, people talk about, like, bads. Is that good? It's more than enough. I, I do. Oh, do you want to I take down? No, I just put down 40. Okay. I have a five. Do you want to do a five? Are you going to cut this out? 
I have 70 there. Yeah, I know. And I, I just don't know why I'm just doing 70. I don't yet. know. I'm looking at you like, why'd you put down 70? Okay, so I'm doing... Yeah. But is that too much for That's you? way too much. Yeah. 10% would be 6. So you're going to cut this out of the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we're, a lot of people here us do our math. That? Tipping would be 12, would be 20%. So how much is there? So you got... 40. You give them 8. 60, 70, that's that. 5. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's more Um... Yeah, no, here's the thing, though, and again... You tune in to Gary's tipping skills. You can cut around that, right? We don't know our math. Yeah, no, I have to go. This is the part where I grow, because I can't just put this out. I have to go back and go in the headset and go, son of a bit, and i got to zoom in to the second, cut you off, and then bridge it together so you don't hear. People will be listening like, and then also, how much? And then I was saying about, uh, you know. right. anyway, you were talking about people so, being jerks to people. Here's an example. No, no, no. I'm going to bring it up. Remember you just told me about that Val Kilmer movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Island of Dr. Island Moore. Of we Dr. talked Dr. about Moore. that. Right. There's a great documentary on Amazon, I think, yeah, about the how making nuts, of. How, that, yeah. that show was just out of control. I mean, the director lost control. They were hiring other people. Val Kilmer's in. Marlon Brando's got a bucket of ice on his head. Right, right. There was a zoo. <laughs> nobody, nobody was running that show. Right. I mean, it was literally like everybody for themselves. People are acting like jerks. But they were filming it in like New Zealand. Yeah. And it was, you know, so far away from the studio. The studio yeah, sent but people it's to... like Lord of the Flies. There's yeah. like a certain thing that just happens where you know it's wrong. Right. I mean, there's some level yeah, that yeah. Kilmer's got to know throwing a lit cigarette at a cameraman. Right. It's not acceptable. Right. But he was doing it. Right. It's, but that's a... It's all set. We're all set. Yeah. But it's like a... It's a that, that's a symptom of Isn't being that a that, big star. Well, no. It's also... Did you hear that story about how they do that test where they get the students and they put them in a prison? Oh, right, and they right, they break right. them up and then within a week or something, right. they're, they're bullying each <laughs> yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole power Well, they did right? that. They did a famous study where they had people who were supposedly being given... Oh, shocks. They were giving shocks. Yeah. It was... The, the whole point was that it was pretend. Yeah. They weren't real, but the students didn't know that they weren't shocking their... And they would keep doing it more and yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yelling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm saying, so does that That's mentality... an example of power corrupting. Go back to the comic book thing. Yeah. Is that what happens on a comic book thing? Yeah, yeah. So you get a writer who's suddenly doing the every mediocre work. Suddenly he becomes more prominent. Right. So he's like the king of the hill. Right. So he starts just... Not everybody. I guess it depends on the person. Yeah, yeah. But have you seen it where they suddenly become like... Oh, people... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, don't you know who I am type oh, of thing? definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean... You know, there's a point where... Does it happen more with writers than artists? I don't think so. But I think the the, the writer has, for a long time, been king. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a point where if you have a... Like, again, the dynamic is important. Like, if you have an editor who is a contemporary of the writer... Yeah, we talked about Or the that. artist. Yeah. That guy may have more... Or woman may have more control. Yeah. Because... They know they can't get away with the same thing they could with, say, someone new, yeah. or someone that they perceived as being beneath them. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right, 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 right. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, because I said, how come? Don't some... think that doesn't happen because yeah. it does. As you know? how some editors have control over people, and some people yeah. are like, I'm not going to say anything to them. They just walk away. So, so when you get in a bad situation, and if you're an artist and you're in a bad situation, who do you go to? Right, you go to your editor. Do you? Well, I don't what know. If, I didn't do it. Well, that's how you would, right? Yeah. But what if your editor was also a writer? Yeah. Because that happens too, where the writer and editor, they're and the same guy. Saying, Shut up. Who do, you, yeah. who do you then go to and say, hey, this situation's bad? So, I mean, it's, it's weird. You definitely need an advocate, and in comics, there really is no advocate. You know, it used to be like at DC, it was Pat Bastine. Patty was the, yeah. the freelancer coordinator. She was the one who kind of all the assignments went through her office. Yeah, yeah. So if you had a problem with somebody, you could definitely go to her, but she did, they couldn't solve every issue. Right. No, you know? go, back, go back. So if you're, go back to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Bickup. Yeah. If Kirby's got a problem, who's he going to go to? Right, because Stan Lee's his editor. And his cousin owns the to, company or Well, whatever, he can't Goodman. go to Martin Goodman because no, Martin because Goodman's like an executive level above that. So the, the freelancers didn't interact with right. that level. so they're not in touch. So anything Stan Lee told them, he had to take it as either, like if Stan said, you're going to get a... We'll give you a bonus for sales, or we'll do this. That's between him and Kirby, and if it doesn't happen, it's not in writing. 
Yeah. And those situations did happen where stuff was promised. You know, so I mean that's always but the same the thing. There was no outlet. There's though. no HR. There's no no not, so so even you, even now there's no HR. There's really. HR now. Not for a freelancer. Oh, if I you're see, working in the company and you have a problem, you can go to HR. But if you're a freelancer, you just basically have to either look for another job, really, or another editor, or you get branded <laughs> as a troublemaker. Yeah, that happens you don't work. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Aren't tough. most of the artists freelancers? Yeah, everybody's freelancer. Yeah, I was going to say, you sign a contract yeah. for a couple issues and you're out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a tough spot. Yeah. <laughs> because, you, you know, again, like you, we talked about like the, oh, you got to be tough. And you, you'd have to be tough. You have to put up with stuff. Yeah. But there's a level that is abuse. Yeah. And yeah. I don't mean like, oh, somebody was mean to me today. No, no, no. Constant. If, if yeah. stuff affects your life, yeah. for example... Like a, it could be a writer, or it could be, say, the penciler yeah, yeah. is really late, and you're yeah. the inker of the book, or you're the colorist of the book. Yeah. Well, that's a really that's adding extra stress to a job that's already stressful. Right. So how do you address that if the editorial department won't say, yeah, let's put a fill in, yeah. in, or let's change the artist, or let's change the writer? Well, I'm going to say because I worked with art departments, I had art directors and creative directors, but we had an HR. I was in a corporate yeah. environment, no, and it's so they different. could go to yeah, HR and say, "My boss is belligerent. My boss is right." You rude can go there yeah. and you can maybe make a complaint, and they will, they're supposed to take it seriously. Yeah. At the very least, it goes into somebody's file. Yeah, there's no such thing for a freelancer. Right, you're at the mercy of whoever you're working with. Yeah, and if it's DC or Marvel, you have an editor. But if it's image where you don't have really an editor, yeah. you're just doing a project, you're just dealing with a writer, you could be totally screwed. Well, is it because they're all big corporate entities now? DC's part of but Warner's. They, but you have no, con- you have, part of you have no protections as a freelancer. And I'm, I'm not even like saying, oh, this is, you know, this is the way it's always been. Yeah. And you can be fired on a whim. Or you don't get work. You're fired anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, in most jobs, if you're fired, you get... Unemployment or severance yeah. or something like that. In comics, you're just out of a job, and you can get black, well, really blackballed black yeah. because you know someone says, "Hey, what happened with that guy? Oh, he missed his deadlines, or he was terrible oh, very to work simple. with." They can pass that along, and nobody's ever going to call you and say, "Hey, so and so told me you were bad with deadlines." Yeah, yeah. no one's going to ask you. They're yeah, just yeah, going to accept little, it because they're. You know, closed community. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a. It's you, always are there, been tough. Are there without naming names? Are there people that you know that kind of got railroaded out of the business because? Sure. Really. Yeah. But they won't ever. No one would ever know say about it. it, right? Because that you would just be don't a break bigger code. Yeah. No, I mean, there's people I know personally who had say insurance problems with, say, DC insurance. Oh, medical, yeah, health insurance. That because they had problems because of certain coverage, they complained and then suddenly found themselves out of work. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you're not not supposed to complain. Here's the thing that bothers me. Yeah. I'm not a guy who complained. I always made my deadlines. But I'm still out of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't don't quite understand people who are total a-holes Where's the the reward and punishment thing? It can happen to anybody regardless. So, I mean, that's just part of being a freelancer. You have no control. Is it a lot of personality stuff? Like Hollywood. Who did I tell somebody told me the reason why they work so long in Hollywood is if you're a nice guy. Oh, the voiceover guy told me that. If you're a nice guy. Because it's not hard to do the voice of Fred right. Flintstone or right. Barney Rubble or whatever. It's just a voice. Right. But if you get along with everybody, right. you'll have a long career. Yeah. If you come in there with the recording studio with a chip on your shoulder or, yeah, yeah. or give somebody some lip, guess what? You don't get any more jobs. That's then, how quick it is because they go, I get oh, along with everybody. Yeah. And yet I still found my work drop off. Well, is it because there's so much competition though? I don't there's so I many, think. Every day there's a new artist out there. That's always the case. But I do think it's weird that you know I really again I'm not crying about it no but but you never I feel like I played by the rules I made my deadlines I took on jobs to help other people's deadlines but you still have the Jerry Ordway look I've seen some other artists who have adapted not not adapted but I know a couple artists you and I both know live nearby their style of art if you look from the 90s it's totally different and I don't know if that's just their evolution as an artist because look at Bill Sienkiewicz he changed from a Neil Adams style to his own painting so that's just a but he's still built but he's still built but some people seem to just like I don't know what happened every 
five years, whatever right. the flavor of the month right. is, whatever new right. art style right. is, they seem right. to be like, oh, I could play that song. Yeah. Oh, I could play that. that right. That's no, the new you. Hit song. You know what I mean? I did. So, I, I, I but you never did, though. I mean, I can look at your stuff today yeah. and look at your stuff today and go, oh, that's Jerry Ordway. Yeah. Well, I always felt like... Or John Byrne. I could look at John Byrne. I look at yeah. Walt Simonson. They're all the same. Well, I think Byrne had more of a... Like, as his drawing got better, people yeah. liked his stuff less or complained more. Well, he had less reliance on Terry Austin. Same was, was true with Starlin. I mean, as Starlin evolved, people always used... I mean, I, I remember hearing fans say, oh, I like this stuff when it was rougher. And when Milgram was inking them or something. I think it's... Sometimes people just can't move out of whatever they initially liked. Yeah. Um, but with my style, I always felt like I've had pressure over the years, and I tried to apply as much as I could as far yeah, as yeah. like keeping up with stuff. I don't feel like I, I don't want to look like my work. Uh, I mean, I always think of Dick Sprang. Yeah. And Dick Sprang was a terrific artist, and he worked for a long time, and he retired. Yeah. Right? But he came back, and they, they had him do some stuff in the 80s oh. for Batman specials and stuff. And it was very that. much the same as he was doing in the 40s or they 50s. Did, he didn't play. Well, he wasn't trying to get back into comics. Right, right, but, right. But there's always, I always just think, like, there's a Dick Sprang moment where you suddenly go, wait, is my stuff really out of step? Or is it, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've always drawn somewhat realistically and in a kind of classic style. And well, I'm happy with that. I don't want to chase whatever the latest no, no, style no, no, fad no, no. is. But, but I also feel like my stuff has more classic reality-based, so it's not as... I always think of Frank Springer. Yeah. Because Springer had, like, that when he did The Invaders. I hated that artwork. Yeah. I literally would cringe. I'd... Open that cover because right. you maybe get a Jack Kirby or Gil Kane cover, right, right. and you're all excited. Then you open it up and you go, "Oh God, no!" Because it was this really thick, like he was drawn with a wax crayon. Yeah, it was yeah. Really, but, but then I found out years later he was trying to mimic the style of the '40s or something. Well, he was trying. To, he was also trying to do the work on a wacky penciler because the Frank Robbins stuff. Was Frank Robbins. I, I said Springer. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But the thing was, then I also heard he had one eye at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I don't he, know. I'm just saying there was it's something going on with that artwork. It was yeah. a, a conscious effort to make it look that yeah. way to try to reflect the 40s yeah. look or something. Well, see, but I didn't know yeah. that. As a kid, you're just picking up and go, why is this guy's art so bad right. compared to Well, they were trying. The they were trying to make it more acceptable for the 70s. Here's the thing. Like, anybody who likes Frank Robbins' Frank work. Frank Robbins. I don't know why I keep calling him Springer. Well, Springer inked him. Oh, maybe that's Frank Springer yeah, was yeah. also a comic strip comic strip artist. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, if Frank Robbins inked himself, like he did on DC, he did Flat, he did yeah. uh, Shadow, he did some Batman stories yeah. with Man Bat. Yeah. It was kind of cool. It was. That's why it was like, so, what happened? So having like Vince Coletta ink him on the, you know, the Invaders or whatever, it was an attempt to try to make it look more Marvel and more contemporary. Oh, was that what was going on? So it's like fighting style. Something didn't work. Yeah. I mean, whatever no, it was. I would have loved like, it more, I think, if he'd inked it himself. Oh, because really? Because then yeah. you, you're all in on the style. Like, what happened with Carmine Infantino? I always wondered that. Because there's Carmine Infantino that does the Flash and the Batman books. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the Carmine Infantino that's doing the Star Wars with, with Wyatt inking yeah. it. And they're not the same. Well, Carmine art. was older, too. It's totally yeah. different. I mean, it's just He not... was very stylized. Yeah. Um, he was a good storyteller, but he was very stylized. And they were towards uh, the, the end of his... eyebrows. And well, but it was very distracting. Yeah, yeah. You know? When he, he went back to D.C. and he did Flash again. He did? After the Marvel stint? Yeah. Because I just had him in those early Marvel 80s, Star Wars. He did the Flash again. Yeah. For, like the whole run. Until I was the... always like, that's the same guy? I mean, I would pick up Batman books and Flash books from the 60s. Yeah. And then look at the Marvel stuff from the 70s. And I, oh, my God. It's like two different people here. What's, what's going on? I think it's the same. It just you know, got he tried to he tried to change a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you can, if you look back at that stuff, I think it looks better to your eye than it did at the time. Well, I was a kid then. Yeah. Because so. I, I think more Kirby. Yeah, I was Kirby say, stuff when he comes back to Marvel in the seventies. Right. Oh God, it's awful compared to the Kirby from the sixties. Right, but but, but at the same time, here's what I what I've realized being over sixty. Yeah. So your eyes start going. One of the things I've noticed 
is you that, can tell that in Jack Kirby's work. Yeah, you can look at it and you can go, okay, you can see how there's like, especially the '80s when he was still doing stuff. Yeah, in the yeah, 80s, yeah, yeah, Captain Victory and all that. The stuff. work had like a, it almost looked like you took a picture of it and and looked at it from a slightly skewed angle. There's more shapes. It was distorted. Yeah, the figures were distorted, and I think that's an, a visual thing. Yeah, people don't realize like when you have like I have now the bifocals or the yeah yeah the eyes and glasses yeah. Is it affects how you see stuff, especially when you're working straight on? Yeah. It actually, because of the boat bifocals, it distorts the really? what you're seeing a little bit. So I'll, I'll scan something in on my computer and I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, the head's a little weird or the proportions and are off. Change the, the I can change X, it. Y axis. Yeah, to, yeah. Really? But but it's something that nobody talks about but you know if you have wear you glasses, seen other people's work like Gil Kane you could see oh, yeah well I mean you could see there's a progression like something's happening Gil I think I don't know if he had eye troubles I don't think he did but I mean for example and I, I love George Perez's stuff oh yeah, yeah. but the more well, recent it's, stuff it's that George more, is doing well, George that, has had there's like problems. something weird the same thing is true of Byrne and I'm not trying to throw these guys under the bus at all there's different I, but look. the heads start getting too big yeah, and I think that's somehow a Grab visual a problem as yeah. opposed to a. It's not their art skills. Yeah, it's a visual thing. I think I honestly believe that. It's like it's harder. Your eyes are different when you're 30 than when you're 60 or 70. Well, there's definitely a difference in Steve Ditko's stuff from yeah. the 80s to yeah, the yeah. 60s. It's like they're more. Well, well, he Ditko started doing less. Heavy blacks. And yeah, there's his stuff got a little on. open, liney kind of. Yeah, kinda yeah, look. yeah. Because um, the other day I was looking at his Captain Adam from Charlton in the '60s, which is more fleshed out, more detailed. And then you look at his stuff like Dragon Lord or right. Captain Universe when he's right. doing for Marvel, and it's all like it doesn't move right. You know, it's like almost a mannequin. But again, he was. Think about how old he was then. Well, how old was he? His '60s. He died in '98, two, was three old. years ago. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you were drawing, he died in '90, I think. If, and he was still drawing. Oh, I know. So I'm just saying. So that was 2000. So yeah, he had to be in his mid 60s, I'd say. I mean, the one of the other problems that hits you is if you don't do it every day, you, you lose a little stuff, bit. You? I think one story, a Black Adam, and, or a Black Lightning story. For and how was it when you got the pencils? A lot of detail. It was very open because he was going to ink it himself. Oh. And he had the, another deadline. So he didn't he bother with do the it. detail. So it was more like a layout breakdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, John Buscema like that too. I've as seen Buscema's stuff. No, I, well, I wonder because, again, I don't know if I any, don't think he had... Uh, he, there's a he different drew. difference between the Avengers and the Conan stuff yeah. to towards the yeah. 90s, maybe? Well, he went through a period... Avengers or whatever he was doing. The, the problem, with, I think, there's a period where Buscema, gave, Stan Lee was really hard on him and made him do the Kirby thing. And he respected the fact that oh, he... Oh, is looked, that why the Silver Surfer looks the way it does? He, he had to... He has Stan to the would, Stan had the speech, and he would give everybody got the speech that you had to, you know, like can't Jack you get Kirby? more Jack Kirby? Because Kirby had this bigness, mm. you know. So Buscema studied it, and he he was able to really come up with a great composite. Oh, and he okay. was a layout guy from the seventies through, well, about mid eighties. Yeah. Um, at Marvel, there was like a a change in I don't know how to put this isolation. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim Shooter had this very specific idea of how comics should be, right? And he kind of, I think, regressed Buscema to the pre-Marvel days. In other words, he wanted less dynamic shots, and he wanted more establishing and more straight-on shots. So the Avengers stuff from like mid '80s yeah, when Buscema yeah, was doing it yeah. kind of started getting yeah. flat. Yeah, it wasn't as oomphy. No, it didn't jump off the page. It was just a and lot of. Gene, more, it seemed like more panels. Well, Gene Colan couldn't do that, so he moved to DC. Yeah, Gene was getting the same thing. Like, oh, you're supposed to be drawing more establishing. Oh, he was always stuff. famous for breaking the panel yeah, yeah, and yeah. being a big. So a, a, a Gene Colan, one whole page would be a whole right. sequence. So it was like an art, an art correction thing. So yeah. once I think you lose that. But isn't John Romita the art director, senior? Well, during that time, yeah, yeah, he was still there, but they did they they didn't always. I don't think they agreed. So shooters actually tell him what the art direction should look like. Jim had a specific, really? and I got caught in that too. At different when I was ink and burn, I got caught in that, but I also got caught in it. Why was John think like sit it? No, it was it was like very specific rules. It's like huh. I, it's hard to describe it to somebody, but now, he was why the would boss. A guy who's not an artist. 
He was, to tell you. He was kind of an artist too, though. I Shooter. Mean, yeah, yeah. No. He had that kind of layout artist. He he used to do like stick figure layouts. Yeah, but okay. The problem really is that comics can't be done on a formula, and he was trying to push everybody to work yeah. in this same approach, like which a template. Yeah. not everybody could do that. Right. You know, and he there was a famous thing like, well, why why don't you give Walt Simonson the the same story? Well, Walt can break the rules. He knows how to break the rules. Oh, really? Other people Frank Miller weren't allowed to break the rules. And Byrne ran into that with, with Shooter, too. It's not like a... I'm not trying to say anything bad about Shooter. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, when somebody gets stuck on an idea of what comics should look like, yeah. it's not a good thing to dictate to everybody, because everybody's kind of not the same. the artist. His yeah. speech and his... his his, uh, you know, basically his approach could help someone who is maybe new, yeah. who didn't know the basics, yeah. but it's not going to help somebody who's already been doing it, like Herb Trimpey or whoever. They're not going to be helped by this. They're just going to be, you know, thrown off. Right. So, but if you look at the Valiant books that Shooter worked yeah, on, the Valiant Warriors stuff was all... Well, not before before that, but the yeah. Valiant stuff before the Steve Mazarski era where they were doing all the... Oh, I was thinking... Oh, you're talking about Harbinger? When and, they first yeah, started those XL, books, yeah. they were all kind of dull. Yeah. Visually, they almost looked like the Gold Key comics. Yeah, they did, actually. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the approach that he liked. Oh, that was, was intentional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, So that's really? what, when you look at Marvel in a certain era, and you see that, like, yeah. that era of, like, 84 to 87... Yeah. There's like an effort to focus on setting up panels, and, and it becomes kind of less. Yeah. It takes away the yeah. it's the anti how to draw comics the Marvel way. That's yeah. the way I looked at it. It looked more template driven. Yeah. Like I could even look at my collection of books. I could tell you what year it was. Yeah. Just by a couple pages, yeah. I don't even have to see the cover. I go, oh, and, that's eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. Again, Jim had a lot of good ideas, and a lot of the good ideas were for one. One of the famous things that was like the best thing he ever said to anybody was. Any potential issue of a comic a could be first. someone's first issue. Yeah, I've heard that. So if you have a character in their civvies, especially, you've got to refer to them. Even if it's stilted, yeah. you have to work their names into that first yeah, yeah, page yeah, 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 yeah. so that you know so the reader, as a reader what's going oh, on. this is Steve Rogers, or right, this right. is... Even if it's stilted, it's important. So that was stuff that was that was basic stuff that he was really good so at. What, all right, so what happened in the 90s then? Well, the 90s, it was probably just, like, everything let loose. Oh, everything thrown against yeah. the wall. I tell yeah. you what, I go look back. But it's exciting. No, it's, it's well, now it is, but at the time, yeah. you know, what was going on? Because yeah. I'm sitting there now looking at the collections, because now you got 20 years armchair quarterback. Right. I could just look at the covers were different, oh, yeah, yeah. because they started getting rid of the, what would you call the little corner box? Right. They got rid of the corner box. They got rid of the, the title to go right, there's no right. more words on stuff right. and somebody was talking to me the other day when did they get rid of the editor's notes was that a thing that like don't do that anymore that was um, Joe Quesada in like two, whenever he took over because in 2000 I talked to a no guy more, who owned a comic book store he said yeah, yeah. that would help back issue sales no it was it when was, they would say oh refer back to issue stupid. 172 yeah. and then the kid's like well I gotta go read 172 now because I wanna it, know what this is about but it gave but that, that issue, the back issue it gave that issue in value and the guy yeah. who had 10 copies of yeah. it could sell it there was footnotes. Yeah, they, yeah. they eliminated footnotes in like in two thousand. Okay, so that's Casada at Marvel, but why DC do it? DC doesn't have DC it. DC was never big on it, and I think that may have been fallen into the. Uh, that was a Stan and Roy thing. I think they were huge on but that. But we did that in, in Superman. We CD did that as 22. best we could. I loved it. I thought it was great because no, it, it made you want to go back and be a complete. It's a minor tool for a reader to be able to find the first appearance or the previous appearance it, it of a villain. That whole rich. Yeah. tapestry of a, yeah. a universe yeah. that this is not just a one-off story well, that there's then, a history to it at DC when Carlin was still yeah. in charge yeah. Mike was on the same page as I was we wanted that we wanted a cohesive DC universe we right. wanted that and then when, when Dan DiDio took over Dan I, I think wasn't as interested in continuity yeah and he also was hiring a lot of people from outside media to write comics, and they didn't, didn't need know the, the re- history. Yeah, it's like you don't need to have your comic collection anymore. We don't need that. Just come up with your own version of a Flash wow. story or whatever. So there's good and bad, but ultimately, but I always people. I yeah. read and I like the comics because of the the, the tapestry. Yeah, you know, oh, I, I always the, did too. Because when it, as a kid, you suddenly got a whole world opened up to you. Like, wait a minute, they know each other. Oh yeah, this is going back to when I got to go find this issue because well, they met each other. Oh my god! I'm sure we talked about I, my first Spider-Man was issue fifty. 
Oh, he's walking yeah. away from the comic. He's yeah. walking away from the his costume can. and the yeah. garbage can. It was yeah. like, oh my god, this is mind blowing. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. you know, just under maybe nine years old or yeah, something. Yeah. It was amazing, but it was within that issue. It'd be like, oh hey, he fought Doctor Octopus and previously in issue forty nine. I remember the first time I read it. It made me have then. There were no comic stories, but it yeah. made me find places that I could find the earlier the issues. The Fantastic Four, when I was in the 70s, and they broke up because they lost, the thing lost its powers and all that stuff, and the cover was Four No More. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We were in school. We were in grade school. We were talked about it like it was the Watergate thing. We were like, oh, my God, did you see what happened? Yeah, right. the thing's not going to be the thing anymore, and, the, and they're breaking up, and Sue and Reed are getting divorced, and, right. oh, and the, your world ended. Oh, and yeah, then you yeah. find out, wait, the Fantastic Four broke up before? Oh, yeah, they did it back in issue 50, and they've been in issue 108. Wait, you're they like, did it like 20 what? times I know, before, I know. Right? every other week it's like we're breaking up like the Beatles and we're getting right. back together and Spider-Man lost his powers oh my god wait a minute he lost his powers in issue 120 right. you're like oh this has happened but you don't know that right? but then when you find out it does now you want to go read it. what happened that oh, time yeah, this yeah. time so well, I like, loved all that stuff I did too I mean but, I think that was a that was a big part of it appeals to whatever crazy collector mentality yeah, exists the OCD, in us we were talking about that today yeah, I was like yeah. There was a six, a twelve issue story by Mark Wade about Captain America called right. Central Liberty. I didn't read that, so I went nuts <laughs> trying to find it. Then I read my big ass omnibus. Oh, is that the one that's got the we did the Jurgens and I did the Jack Kirby? No, that's a different one. Oh. That's one of the World War Two one. That's no, that we did, yeah, right. We're, we're, he, yeah, he's on a jeep on the cover. Yeah. No, but the thing of it is, I'm like, when you find out you didn't know something about someone's history, like, I gotta go find that book. So right. I'm telling Scott Martin about it, and he's like, oh yeah, it wasn't a great series, but the fact that it was out there and I didn't know. Right. And I'm looking at my omnibus today, and it was in the back of it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I have it. I, don't right. even, I never read it. Anyway. Never mind. Never mind. Don't worry about it. It's not a big, impactful thing. But this all started because we were talking about how being in a compromised situation right. and a work thing right. doesn't get you to do your best. Well, somebody, so, and here, but somebody on Twitter a couple days ago said, yeah. you know, what, what do you think would have happened if... It was something like posed as, what if Jack Kirby was paid better? What if comic rates were better back then? What would have happened? My first response was a knee-jerk thing, but I said you would have had less comics. You, I was going to say, you would have gone out of business because they weren't no, making no, no. that much money. No, I mean, Kirby would have drawn less. <laughs> oh, really? Definitely. because oh, he wasn't hungry. He was paying for... He was drawing his, as fast as he could because he made many money kids, by he had pages. A lot of kids. Yeah, yeah. And those guys worked by the page. Why do you think Neil does so much? Because I always like, so he's got like six kids. I if, was he had a, if he had a better situation, it would have been great for him, Yeah. but he wouldn't have drawn five books a month. And so, from a fan point of view, maybe you would have said... Is he the most But, but, but maybe guy? somebody else comes up. In other words, some, the company opens up and maybe somebody who didn't get a job in the 60s who was as good or talented yeah, yeah, yeah. could have had a run on some book because... Was you know, he the most productive artist ever in history? It's a debate, but I think he was. Who else but produces John much? John Buscema did a tremendous amount of pages from like 1970... Oh, through the 2000s. But I mean, he drew literally lay out something like four or five books a month. Really? Yeah. A month? Yeah. He was doing breakdowns, but oh. it was it was a lot of material. So Kirby, Buscema, who else is up there? I mean, Gil Kane was prolific. Oh, yeah? Uh, the people who could do... Don Heck. Yeah, I mean, somebody could do math on that but I, I think like with uh, people who did multiple books that's the kind of qualifier like if you if, if you penciled two books a month that's a lot of pages Byrne was doing two for a while Byrne was doing Fantastic three at one point didn't he She-Hulk and uh, something else he was I mean there's the, the potential is there but can you do it for as long as Kirby yeah, did it yeah. or as long as Buscema did it you know there's other people who are probably more prolific but maybe not as good yeah, you know, definitely people who just could phone it in. Hey, if if you get a deadline and you need twenty two pages, are you going to be picky? You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys who got work over the years that were fast what and just good enough. Here's the thing, too. What happened to the, all those artists from the seventies and the eighties and the nineties that just fell away? They either went into advertising or they went into some other line of work. But there was a shit ton of people yeah. that bullpen that I go look for now to go get to be guests yeah, yeah, yeah. of the show. And I'll call them, oh, I don't do comics anymore. And they just... I think it's romantic to think that everybody went into commercial art. But it's not the I case. think people probably became... 
postmen or they became really yeah no because I tracked down Kerry Gamble yeah and he got into advertising yeah. and, and stuff down in Texas I'm like oh, oh storyboards and well Kerry did character design yeah when there was yeah. production I don't know if it was movie production and, and stuff yeah. in the two, yeah, early 2000s yeah, but who's the guy that worked Doug Hazelwood Doug Hazelwood was a he inked the Adventures of Superman over Tom Grummet yeah he did Superboy Doug was around for a long time and Doug I think became a mailman who's the guy I'm thinking from Hard Boiled that worked for Frank Miller the, uh, Jeff Darrow Jeff Darrow got into storyboards <laughs> yeah. too well a lot of people do that and they there's certainly a, an industry uh, Bill, Bill Rodolfo C- DiMaggio who yeah. did some great Green Lantern Green Arrow stuff in the I guess it would have been the 90s yeah he uh, is a storyboard artist for movies and stuff, too. You see his, his credit. Bill but Mike Klug did that. Mike Klug went from into comics into, you know, doing... He did worked on Superman. He worked yeah. on a bunch of stuff. Bill Sinkavich was just talking the other day. They said, why is he yeah. using covers? Yeah. And he says, oh, he's going to try to get back into storytelling again. But he goes, but it just, it just happens. Like, yeah. suddenly you're doing this assignment, this yeah. assignment, and you're doing record if, albums and posters if and you don't it's a lot of like stuff like comics if yeah. you don't do it All like you time. just have to keep doing it that's what he said he said you he lose. just did a 10 issues uh, 10 page story yeah. and he forgot yeah. how to tell a story you lose with the, the panels yeah, and yeah, stuff because it's been facility. so long yeah I mean that's why comic artists are good when they're good. Yeah. Because yeah. The, it's like it's having it's, all, it's yeah. like your your all your you know eight cylinders are running Fire. smoothly. Yes. They're firing. You know, there's no misfires. Yeah. And that's from doing it every month. Yeah. It's like a grueling like thing. But yeah. it's like being a being a, a musician or something. Right, a musician yeah. or a, a sports. Yeah. An athlete where you have to stay in shape and you have to do it, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. you lose a step. Um, that's the problem that I've had, I think, by not well, doing you know, it. How come some people like Bill Everett, you can look at Bill Everett's stuff. By the way, did you ever get that Submariner 2 book? I just saw it. No. In Boom oh, is this it's out. I was like, damn it, this is the one, the post-war one. Is it? Yeah. That's not the one they had at Cave. No, they had oh. part one. The, the, part two is in a boom yeah. tube. I was, okay. It was on the table. But I'm saying, if I look at his later stuff in the right. 60s and the, even the early 70s, yeah. it's so much better yeah. than it was in the well, he 40s improved. or 50s. He, yeah. was, he had to have been a young guy when he did the created the Submariner. I know, but it just got so much yeah. better. I mean, well, I don't know what happened. his 50s stuff is really nice, too. Yeah, that's why I wanted to get that book. Yeah. The, the 40s stuff, he was, you could tell, nobody was, the only guy who was doing really good work in the 40s was Reed Crandall. He was oh, the yeah. only guy you could look at it and you go, oh, he's not working for the page rate. He's just... He's doing, Joe Neely was doing a lot of good work. Neely in the 50s was, was really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bill Everett was... Wally Wood? Everett was like really solid, but he was always predictable. You knew what you were yeah, going to get yeah. from him. You know, no, um, but the details crazy. But the '50s stuff was good. The '70s stuff, I remember when he took over Submariner. Yeah, did some covers towards yeah. the end. He yeah. actually was drawing the insides. Oh, yeah. um, they were good. I just saw a couple of the. He did, it was a Submariner, giant size annual two or something. Yeah, yeah. It was a reddish cover with the Submariner. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, it was. The well, you know what happens fantastic. though is when, in the, when you lose a step, like if you yeah. like, I haven't drawn uh, interior stuff for since I finished the Norse mythology, yeah, yeah. right? So it was like in early March. Yeah. And I'm trying to do layouts for myself, and it's just such a struggle. So I just put it aside and did some yeah. commissions, and yeah, now yeah. I've gone back to it, and I realize you just have to work through it. That's how it always is. Yeah, yeah. You have to work through it and maybe do some bad layouts yeah. to where you can feel like you're starting. So at least doing layouts gives me a chance to fix that stuff when I do the finished pages. But you just need to do it. I mean, it's like anything. You just have to go, okay, it's frustrating. It's not coming out the you way could, I want to. You can to. tell it. You can look back and go, oh, you God, that's You just feel it. it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could feel it. Scott so, Martin, was, he found your, uh, that 50s book you did, the one with the Russians. Oh, or Red something. Menace. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. just read that. And he said, yeah. oh, this is really great Jerry no, stuff. Good and I said, I remember seeing those pages online because you had all this detail work about yeah, yeah. a lot of 50s pickup trucks and all oh, that yeah, yeah. stuff. It was nuts. I was yeah. like, what the hell? Well, you have to get set in an era. Yeah. You know, to where you can do stuff. Because you have to invent stuff. You can't take everything from a picture. No, no, no. So you have to get, like, almost like you, you absorb through osmosis, and then you're able to generate, you know, mm. something that looks somewhat convincing for a time frame. Yeah. I mean, I did that with the Submariner. I was going to say, too. I was going to say the Submariner, that, was that set, Palisades set Park 45, fight. Yeah, yeah. So you really have to look at what clothes were like and what cars were like in 45, yeah, yeah. as opposed to... I mean, but they didn't ask 50s. you to do that, though. 
Yeah, well, they expect that if you're giving you a period piece, they expect you yeah, to do something. Yeah, but Pure Busick didn't call you up and say, hey, Jerry, you have to make it look like this. Well, that's expected, though. I know. You said, well, we I mean, that's it, why they asked Bringing me. it back to the original conversation, yeah, yeah. how much is the guy, not, the yeah. writer telling the yeah. artist, hey, man, I want you to do this, this, and this. Yeah, well, the writer, um, Busick, Alan Brenner. You. you guys have known yeah, yeah. each other for But years. Alan Brenner, um, he, he, in his script, he put links to a few reference things I mean there's never enough you always would like to be able to see like a it'd be great for example if you could see a really nice video someone made mm. even if it was eight millimeter of mm. the park and walking through to get a sense of the geography because you can look at something from a, a photo yeah or a schematic and says here's where the carousel is yeah, here's yeah, where this yeah. is but you really can't rebuild it in your head right, right. Uh, it's but helpful again, to see you it. might be getting crazy anal wise because the reader's not going to I don't know what that looks like I know but I like to I want it to be convincing to me yeah so you know it's like I, I feel like if I'm drawing the carousel and then in a shot off in the back here's the shooting gallery the house. yeah you want to make sure you want to make really sure there. that it's in the right position depending on how the oh, characters I are I, I hear you but I know like for instance that Indiana Jones movie yeah. <laughs> when they filmed it in New Haven it drives me nuts yeah. because they go down the same street three times oh, and they yeah. go up a one way street and I'm just like oh my god you could never do that right. on Chapel Street right. because that's not a one way street right. but again nobody knows well, that but me because I live there yeah. the magic of picking a location yeah. that looks like New York that's actually in you know, Toronto, Toronto or, something. or Vancouver. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's what the location people do. But with with comics, you kind of do somewhat similar. You, is that's where I said you you can't take everything from photos because it looks no. too dead to do yeah. that. I've seen so people that do assimilate that. and look at stuff and almost just immerse yourself to I've where seen you people can. People that get like a stock photo oh, yeah. or a reference photo and they draw it and then they just throw the character on top of it. Yeah. And they go, well, geez, that didn't take much thought. I mean, yeah. it looks nice. It's a nice architectural Whatever, rendering. If it works, if it works within the person's. I style. remember the shot that John Byrne did of Washington Park and Marvel team up of Spider-Man. I thought it was one of the greatest things I ever saw. Yeah. And then I saw the reference photo he used and it just like took me down. It's an opening splash page and Spider-Man swinging over Washington Square Park and there's that arch. Yeah. That's there. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, that's such a beautiful drawing of Spider. And then I saw a photo that was the same lighting. Yeah. I'm like, all he did was light table that thing. But yeah, but see, that's again, you say all he, he did. He was establishing where but it was. He put it extra effort to make it a real location. He did. As yes. opposed to just this. You know, he it wasn't was still a beautiful drawing, yeah. but I just when I found it, I was like, "What? That's the well, same shot." The um, Dover books, yeah, they do. They have like these photo books of the '30s, mm-hmm. New York in the '30s, New York in the '40s, and those books are kind of like the ones you buy. Like when I did All Star Squadron, yeah. I needed that, yeah, because you'd be like, "Oh, what did Fifth Avenue look like?" And, oh, really? Or what did? And there's you know some aerial shots too. And when I was looking at the one, I remember thinking, like, you know, wow, these are these are really great reference. And then, unrelated to that, was rereading a run of Fantastic Four, mm. and I think like you know, Fantastic Four number ninety four or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking, I'm going, oh wow, Kirby used that same no shot. No way, and you could see the street. Yeah. You need to do as an artist, you need to ground yourself in something real. Yeah, and and that's always been true, I think, forever. Yeah. Like, if you come up with stuff, it's supposed to all come out of your head. Well, you know what? You don't remember everything. I know. I told you I want to come to drawing a horse. Whenever someone says to a horse, a giant I dog. always get a reference. I know, I <laughs> know. But when I go to draw it off the top of my head, it doesn't look like a horse. Yeah. Or I drew a Tyrannosaurus Rex once when I had a reference photo. It had the biggest back legs. The guy looked at it and goes, what is that, like a chicken drumstick? It looked like a massive turkey leg with these little tiny hands. I go, I didn't have a reference photo, okay? I had to sit so there, going, but and I, I just drew it from out of my head. I'm right. like, okay, that's a so, little... So yeah. rather than, like, like in the Kirby example yeah. or the Burn example, you go, hey, good for them because they basically grounded this yeah. in some reality, reality so that yeah. they can then make up the rest. That's but so weird. I never, see, I never thought Kirby used any reference. Well, Jack life. used to also watch late night movies because he worked at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could see that in all of all his comics. All the 30s Or the 50s, movies. the 50s yeah, yeah. monster movies that would show up on probably Channel 9 You or know something. what somebody called them on the other day and I can't stop looking at it? Captain America meets the sleeper. You know, the Red oh, yeah, Skull yeah. comes no, back, yeah. and there's these robots that yeah, assemble themselves, them, yeah. right? Right. So the guys who are, it's a good podcast, it's called the, oh, the Marvel Age of Comics or something. Right. So they're reviewing Tales of Suspense when the sleeper comes back, right. and he says, Robbie the Robot. It's Robbie the Robot. Yeah, yeah I yeah. didn't realize it, because yeah. now I have a Robbie the Robot on my desk, 
and I'm staring at the little hands and the little yeah. stomach. I go, but he made oh him more. God, that, that's he a made sleeper. More, he made yeah, more he's, powerful he, looking. He but just they still switched have, the head, yeah, but yeah. it's the same yeah. torso with the same thing. That's yeah. the reference photo. Yeah. And every time I look at it, I go, oh my God, all these years I but read that, that comic. That doesn't diminish it. No, me. it doesn't. But now I see where he stole that from. Yeah. I go, that's a fucking Robbie the Robot. And he just switched the head. That's all. He put the Again. Lost in Space robot's head on top of Robbie the Robot. Right. But I mean, damn you, Jack Kirby. And again, if you're drawing something, but at the time in the '60s, you're kids working were drawing a robot. That's what a robot. But you're also you're grabbing stuff from everywhere. So you know the, the the and again, that's the stuff that you remember and you go, oh, that's really cool. How many people? I remember from Burn on really. Yeah. And again, I think this is a practical, useful thing. They did the Japanese book of Sid Mead's designs for yeah, Blade, from Runner, Blade Runner, yeah, and some other stuff. But I have it's like a big square book, yeah, and. Uh, that became kind of like probably every comic artist's future design book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everybody during the 80s, if they had to draw the future, it's like, oh, look at they Sid all Mead. Put, yeah. In the 40s or 50s, you looked at pulp magazines, you know? So, mm-hmm. so the style, again, a comic artist has to be a designer. He has to be, you know, you have to be a costume designer. You have yeah. to be a, a location man. You have to design stuff. You have to do stuff all on the fly. Mm-hmm. So you grab from anywhere and everywhere, and it's you, as long as you put your spin on it, it's all good, you know. Movie stills, whatever it is, yeah. if it helps you and you can do something with it, Wally Wood was famous for oh, that. Oh, I know. These I guys know. all used to buy in the New York City. You you could go. I know up until the Forty Second Street got gentrified, you could go into these movie memorabilia places yeah, yeah. and buy 8 by 10 movie stills. Yeah, I remember that. You know, and the movie stills are great reference, and I'm sure if you had a job that required you to do Egypt, yeah. you could go through and find Some Cleopatra yeah, yeah. or Seven Commandments or something. What was it? Oh, you just made me remember somebody the other day. Damn it. I was just going to say, you just had me a reference photo. But I was going to say, is that getting back to what we started with, for example, if you're a writer and you say... You know, so and so emerges from a, you know, Egyptian early tomb. Egyptian tomb. Yeah. You know, it, it's helpful if you can throw somebody basic reference. Mm. You know what I mean? Which maybe you have a book on this stuff. You mm. can photocopy a page and include it with the script. And not, nowadays you Google everything. But even a Google yeah. link helps. Well, these guys never would help. So it's on you to then go to the library. And look through books. Oh, you would have and your find file. Stuff. I would, I would well, say I have my file, but you, there's, yeah. you don't have everything. So no. some of them very specific. You have to spend a day, your you know deadline, going to the, the library, library and seeing yeah. if there's picture books that you could take out. A lot of them you couldn't take out. Yeah. So you'd either have to photocopy crappy photocopies there. No, I remember her Trimpy loved airplanes. Yeah. He was in the Air Force. Yeah. And he did this Indiana Jones couple issues. My God, he had so many different airplanes. It wasn't. And I saw him once. He goes, "Oh, I love that issue." I go, "I goes, oh, I'm a plane nut." Well, wasn't I he got a pilot to draw. Too? He was a pilot. Yeah. yeah. He goes, "I got to draw this. I got to draw that plane." He was just having a field day, yeah. drawing different airplanes. That's all. But but I mean, so as a writer, when I would write something, I would always try to offer some reference, or at least here's where you can look for this. Yeah. Because you give somebody. It's not all Alan Moore shit where it's like 50 pages of dialogue about the... But again, there's a, there's a good example. And yeah. this is just... You can it's, maybe wrap it up here yeah, too yeah, if yeah, you yeah, want. Yeah. But example is like with Alan Moore being a really hard thing to draw. Yeah. Because he expected so a lot detailed. of you. Yeah. But it was worthwhile at the same time because it was really good. It wasn't like somebody else, a lesser writer, could say, I want a nine-panel page. And you could look at it and go... This is BS. It doesn't need to be nine panels. Alan Moore says, I have a nine-panel page. Every panel counts because he thought it through. It wasn't just haphazard, you know. Is uh, there anybody else that does that like he does where he just gives you all that detail, like the books on the shelf or these books and the matchstick? No, no. The only other I've guy... I've seen samples of those things. It's insane. Like, no, it it's is. It's like pages and pages yeah, of Yeah, he would describe like foreground to background. Yeah. But it, it wasn't gratuitous. It no. was all stuff that had some... But how does he know all that stuff? He clearly has Researches some good... It? I don't know. I always thought that, like, in working with him on Tom Strong, I yeah. felt like he knew ahead of time. Like, well, how would he know? By going researching before he wrote? In his head? It's, like, it's you know what I mean? Somebody who, I mean, different people have different yeah. types of brains. I understand, his but brain it's His brain could have been nuts. super organized 
he very could, photo, he could probably close his eyes. Yeah, and that's visualize one thing. Photo realistically, like, but again, to me, like if you describe something from your childhood, so yeah. you went, you closed your eyes, and you describe your room, your yeah. childhood room. It's going to be different. You could tell me, yeah. and I would be filtering it through what my room looked like. Right, so, right. so in a way, maybe he had very specific reference points for all this stuff yeah. that he found somewhere that he wasn't sharing or that weren't, you know, it was from a story. Um, but yeah, he, he would do stuff that was unbelievable. Another guy who wrote like that, and... Does Alan Moore write novels? He, I think because he's the written, detail he's put in stuff, no, I'm yeah, like, yeah. why don't you just make a novel out of it? I think shit, he really you know? liked comics. But I was going to say, the one that I always thought of in the like, say 80, 70s and 80s that was rumored, and I saw one or two plots of his, was Doug Mensch. What about Doug, Doug would write like 20-page plots. They were crazy. It was way too really? much. You know what I mean? But it was like the point, I remember Pat Broderick, when he was in the studio with me, Pat was working on some Doug stuff. And uh, he did Warriors of the Shadow Realm with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this yeah, thing yeah, had yeah. had like a forty-page Bible. No shit. Uh, single-spaced in the yeah. old days. Yeah. It was a huge, huge document. The problem with that is, if you're drawing something, it's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, because it was still a plot. well. You know what Bill was on? It wasn't a full script. It was a plot. Was, he was on plot. Word Balloon, and he said he felt bad for Doug yeah. working with him. Because the problem with Moon Knight is it doesn't it's a featureless face mask. Yeah. It's just that yeah. hood and you yeah, can't yeah. see. Yeah. So Doug would write these stories, but because Bill's drawing a right. no face, there's no mouth. It's not right. Batman where you get right. the mouth no, no, and the right, eyes. Right. It's just a shroud. Right. So you can't tell anything like, oh, Moon Knight is struggling with that. Well, how do I right. know? He's gritting his teeth underneath that thing. Well, but Doug would cover it with a Well, caption. that's what he said. He said, poor Bill's over there drawing this stuff, and he felt bad for Doug because Doug had to go then right. write it because right. he couldn't visually convey it yeah, with yeah. an image because there's no, there's no face. But there were people who didn't want to work with Doug's stuff because it was just so thick. Really? Yeah. Right. And I mean, again, it was plot style. It wasn't like writing a full script. It would be like, here's the plot for a story. There's no isn't way a Ennis, plot should be that. Garth Ennis like that. I don't know. I've one of them. Oh, one of them I heard does a lot. But, but, but how the, about Claremont? Well, He's Claremont, notorious for work. Yeah, yeah. Dialogue. I don't know how long his plots were though. The stories are very thin. Yeah. When I go back and look at them now, they're only one or two issue yeah. stories. The I don't know how. I mean, I've never seen one of his great, plots. Yeah, I think he worked. I don't think he worked as densely as. as but there's Mitch. so much dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. No. He, like, and he even had his uh, his. Tom Orzakowski was his letterer. Really? Because Tom had a way of packing dialogue oh, geez, into these things. With, yeah, yeah. Did he actually do point size, like smaller type, to get it all in there? Because I, I think was like, Tom, wow. Tom squeezed it. Yeah. In other words, like yeah, the letting, normal the lettering curtain. would have some space yeah. between it. Tom still did the same height, but he squeezed it yeah. to fit more in. Yeah. And he did kind of tighter balloon shapes and stuff. Yeah. Because um, I look at some of those old X-Men books, I go, I don't know how I read this yeah. stuff back then. My eyes must have been bleeding. But the, you know what? The good thing about doing stuff like that on uh, with the lettering on the board is still there's a there's a lot of pluses to having the lettering there. Yeah. Because it's there for the inker to read, yeah. to follow the story. Because I guarantee you, if you're an inker, you never got a copy of the plot. Yeah. So all you had was the artist's pencils to follow. You never knew, unless the writer, the artist wrote a note that it's nighttime, you would never know a story. Oh, really? Age. Yeah, yeah. I oh. mean, you, you had no sense of time. I always overthink this stuff, but I yeah. figure, like, if you're doing a story and it says nighttime, well, then, hey, that might not be the sun in the sky. Maybe, Maybe the that's moon. the moon. Oh, and yeah. And I can do black here or whatever. But if you don't know that, you're not able to fully commit. Oh, I so, never thought of that. So the, the inker never would get the... And I guarantee you, the colorist would probably not get the plot either, even though all those specifics were in the plot. No, I would assume at that point they didn't even think he had to just fill the colors. But it should. I mean, the colorist it should. should have like the plot. if it's like a nighttime, is it a bluish sky? Right. Is it a reddish right. sky? And they the must have indicated that. Writers well, you had the color would say, overlays. But I'm saying writers could say, you know, flood the, the panel is flooded with warm sunlight yeah. or something. By the time it got to the colorist, it's just color. Yeah. So if you don't have that cue, you're you not going to be able to add that extra 10% of make, that would make it interesting, you know? So it is a collaborative effort. So it's you totally can't have one big prima donna. But it really thing. should be that everybody's on the same page, and it just never has been. It never has been. So, I mean, when I, again, when I worked on Shazam, which I'll plug, the hardcover comes out on August 18th. 
Oh, okay, good. Collects the told me last night. I was like, it's out. Already? And the first twelve issues, and a story from Batman Superman magazine, which nobody's seen since then. Since they used to be available in the Warner Brothers. Stores. Yeah, yeah. Really, and that's in continuity between a graphic novel and the first issue of the of the. Uh, Who wrote? Is that Grummet or? Kessel? I wrote it, and. Um, uh, Kiesel. No. Um, uh, oh, Dan. The guy that used to do the this Batman. guy passed away. He yeah, Mike Parabek. Mike Parabek. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he wrote. He drew the story. But anyways, yes, that's available. That'll be August 18th, hardcover. When I was working on the book, I would always try to pass notes along to people. But again, it doesn't generally happen. Just like when you're if you're drawing a book, you often don't know who's going to color it. Mm. And I always would collect color reference whatever because I figure if I have to reference a car reference of some clothing or something yeah, yeah, yeah. and I have a good piece of color reference yeah. of a location it should go to the colorist but a lot of times you don't know who the colorist is until after they've colored it you, <laughs> you know, know what I found out so there's a friend, lot of lack of I communication started, I started doing uh, conventions they try to segment everybody and keep no, everybody but you just got me going did you know well you might because you're older than me but a friend of mine started doing uh, car shows like old time shows Tony Tony was right. organizing them so, these cars were showing up with the weirdest colors I'd ever seen in my life. Like yeah. salmon, right. pink, right. like hot rods, weird, like light greens or something. And right. I was like, why did they go and paint them that hideous color? Right. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? I go, what is that, salmon pink or something? He goes, no, that's the original color, the factory color. I go, What? He goes, yeah, what did you think they were? Because you see only black and white photos. So when you see the real thing in the 50s, you're like, oh, that's the real color, the factory's color? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. because the colors had a much different palette than nowadays. They're not so dark and red and blue. They were more pastel. So when you look at old comics, the colors think of them. They're my age. They didn't know that. They're like, oh, it's a yellow car. It's a red car. But they didn't realize it's actually a light green or something. So that's a weird thing that... If you I can't research not, it. Like, think about it. I think about a 1957 car with the fins. Yeah. And there was a two-tone, like the Bel Air, Chevy, yeah, yeah, Chevy yeah, yeah, Bel Air, yeah, yeah, had like a two-tone thing with a metal chrome band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom half was yeah, yeah. white. And then and you'd above have the that, green and blue. White. Right, it yeah. was usually seafoam yeah, sea sea green, green or yes. seafoam yeah, blue, yeah. which means right. basically like a pastel. Right. You don't really... You don't but think that. But models, too, so the models were always, you know, yeah. the, bo- the box would always show like kind of... The color of the car or something but uh yeah you don't get it. like when you look at 1940s stuff if you're looking at reference, it always seems the same palette like if i watch the like in the raiders lost ark everything's gray and yeah. brown well, and stuff the, it's like was that really all the colors they had in the, say for example like ford motor company yeah there's a lot of dark right yeah because they're basically were black cars they were coming off of an assembly line they yeah. were all the same like the model t yeah yeah those things came in black yes you know it wasn't like you had five choices no, of colors. No, but then you'd start to get and some then dark blues or dark They started to do greens, different yeah. colors, but they were generally dark. Yeah. You know? And in, in photos, everything's black. You know what I always get? If you watch Captain America, the first Avenger, there's that metal. It's like a ceramic metal or something. Okay. Like the, 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 the laboratory where they make Captain America yeah. and, and uh, Howard Stark's equipment. They got it. It's I can't describe what it is. It's stuff I saw in the seventies, like you'd see like in the kitchens. Well, Bakelite. Ba- what, Bakelite. What is it? It's it was a it's ceramic. Like a, it's they, like a ceramic. Yeah, it was yeah a it's me- like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, when he goes early into plastic. That, when he goes into that pod. Yeah, yeah. And then you see him pulling the switches. Yeah. It's got that. Heavy, it looks like a sink, almost like yeah. a metal enamel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's yeah. porous. Yeah. That's what it was called. Well, Bakelite. It, seem, it was seems a, like big. Bakelite was a was early plastic. So it was on radios, oh. the radio cases, yeah, 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 yeah. and it was generally most mostly molded in kind of like a brownish color. Yeah, but it wasn't um, plastic, though. Right. No, it was a plastic, but it wasn't the same kind of... It was probably more like a cellophane Harder. plastic than a polymer plastic. Oh, because I just watched that more movie, and I saw, wow, they really went out of way for detail. Yeah. Because it does definitely they, have a certain think about look it, to in, it. Well, if you look, I don't know... Any kind of electronic ceramic was what they used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be ceramic is ceramic. ceramic well, it fuses. Is, I, old fuses. It had that little metal like glass. toilet. Like yeah. a toilet is ceramic. Right. It's basically clay with a glaze on it, right? And that's how they had to make things. So there'd be like a separator between, you know, a connector or something. Mm-hmm. It could be a donut shape of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that was ceramic, yeah. right? That stuff was 
everywhere. You know, that's how oh, they like did the, the kitchens, knobs everything. on the yeah, tubes yeah, 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 and things yeah. like that. So that was just no, it's part just of interesting it. when you go there. There's a restaurant in Disney World when you go to Disney World called Mom's Kitchen or something like that. Oh, yeah. and it's in the fi- it's supposed to be in the fifties. Yeah. We always go to eat there because it looks like the fifties. It right. looks like there, but they have all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. have all the old uh, coffee pots and yeah, the yeah. old fans and the tea- the chairs. Everything seems like it came out of your grandma's 50s, house. Fifties is very chrome. Yeah, chrome, it was chrome, and like the metal colorful, chairs, colorful and the, plastic uh, upholstery, and yeah, right, like cushions on them and stuff. No, I mean, I know. I just, it's just something to see, though, because my kids think I'm in another world. They go, "This looks like my grandmother's house," because it has that detail. Well, I found a. I was looking through. I don't know why I was doing. I was going through a res, uh, uh, my recipe books. Yeah, oh, the and old they were from my mom. Yeah, 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 I have yeah. the. Uh, the not Betty Crocker. It was the Fanny Farmer cookbook my mom gave me. And it was, it's got everything in it. So you don't even need another cookbook. It's got every, oh, really? how to make everything. Yeah. How to make flour and cake flour. Everything. Yeah. So I was going through it and I was going through this cabinet looking for bread recipes because I knew I had some bread books. Yeah. This is when everybody was when everybody's bread. home. Every, we were all I making started, bread. Right, the I thing. had the what, sourdough We did starter. that too. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I find this little envelope of recipes that my mom had clipped. Yeah. And I guess some of my... Uh, Peggy, my wife Peggy's grandmother had right. some clippings that maybe someone got mushed together with this in a Ziploc. Yeah, yeah. I was looking through them and it was like on the backs of these recipes, they were cut out of magazines. Oh, so you see the old There would be pictures and there was a, a really hilarious, I mean, to me, it was hilarious because this thing was from 1930. Yeah. And it was a brand new stove. Right? It was probably white enamel stove. It was the craziest looking thing you ever saw because yeah. it was a stove and it ran on like coal gas or something really? stupid. It was just it was just like the fuel part of it was like coal. Oh, yeah. really? It was the craziest thing. And and uh, you know, again I was looking at it going, Well, this is lost to time. Because clearly if you had a stove like this, how would you run it, right? Yeah. And maybe you could run something like that on propane now or I whatever. Don't know. But it was just so specific that it cracked me up. And that's how, just like with having computer stuff from the oh yeah, 90s, I was going to say like a disk drive. Yeah, or a what are you going to do with a yeah. floppy disk? What are you going to do with a freaking? You know, uh, you're never going to be able to read that. I have those giant magnetic tape drives. Forget oh, yeah. about it. Oh, the SideQuest. Yeah, SideQuest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SideQuest is tons of them. SideQuest was the only one that they yeah, could the, the, the optical coloring, magnetic. But they that's could do the one comic coloring on it because it was 128. You know, Mix. megabytes or yes. something. I used to, when we went to catalogs, crazy. all that stuff was on those dice. I used to have to drive them yeah. to the separators yeah. to get the pages made. And colorists and would have got corrupted, FedEx those. You'd lose the entire thing. Yeah, I've yeah. had that happen. Like, you can't read the disc. Yeah. You had to FedEx those things to the printer. And then we found out how to printer. send them over the internet or the modem. And it would do it at night. You'd go right. home at 5 oh, o'clock yeah, yeah, no and you'd start to send it. And then it would be at 7 in the morning right. still processing right. Or you'd find out something went wrong and it oh, never yeah, yeah. sent. And like, what are you talking about? Right. Anyway, I'm sure people are like, they don't want to hear about this. Anyway, that wraps up another episode of the Power Cosmic Pizza Podcast. <laughs> Sarah, the singing waitress, is in here today. At Colony Grill at in Colony Fairfield. At Colony Grill in Fairfield. So, that was it. We have Luck Be a Lady Tonight singing. <laughs> is that Frank Sinatra? Yeah. From Guys and Dolls? Yeah. Well, there you go. That wraps it up. And that's that. <laughs>